0: Hello everyone. Welcome to Ruth is Stranger Than Fiction. Everybody. It feels like a while since we have talked to you all. I'm here with Chris today. Hello, Chris. Hello. It's a nice, rainy Sunday afternoon. We're stuck in the house. Absolute piss weather outside. Thought we may as well record an episode.
1: Pissing on the Jubilee.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Pissing on the Jubilee. We have got some beer. Great. It's a mild, a vanilla mild.
1: Vanilla mild, yeah. From the. Rudgate Brewery. And where did you get this beer? I bought it in a fancy farm shop somewhere in the northeast of England.
0: It's quite strong flavoured.
1: I mean, actually, it's quite strong. It's a four percent, which is quite strong for a, for a mild. mile. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite nice though.
0: Mm. We've got a series of dark beers to drink this afternoon.
1: Yes, I. Uh, Picked them up mostly because one of them was called Nightmare Porter. And that That,
0: will be good for us today. That
1: seemed appropriate for maybe one of your episodes. Yeah, today's the day. The others are irrelevant. They just happen to be in the shop in the same area. And And they're they're
0: just dark colours, so that makes them spooky. Uh, Shall I tell you about what we might look at today? Do you remember, before Christmas, think back if you can, we looked at the book Bogey Tales of East Anglia by M.H. James? I do,
1: because I remember that M.H. James was very close to M.R. James.
0: Yes, and it turned out a relation of. M.H. James was a female writer who gathered together some folk stories into a book. And we had an introduction to the book before Christmas in the episode Mary Chegriff, Witch's Daughter. Or Cheggers. Cheggers. (laughs) I would recommend if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and have a listen. Because as well as the story of Mary, the witch's daughter, we have a bit of an introduction to the book and how it came to be gathered and the mystery of the author, which was finally revealed in the last 20 years or so. So whiz back and listen to that one. But I thought we would have more stories from there today. Okay. Because they were quite fun, weren't they?
1: I guess so. I mean, I only heard one of them. That might have been the best story.
0: (laughs) It was a good one. But we will start with a quote from James's introduction to the story compilation. She grew up in Oldborough, remember, on the Suffolk coast. At the end of her intro to the book, she says, Though silly Suffolk has passed into a proverb and a reproach, and though Norfolk, through its contiguity, shares the character, it is a great mistake to set down the East Anglians as her stupid race. They are slow, but extremely shrewd, and in conversation amongst themselves, you may hear passages of the finest dry wit, while their deductions are very closely drawn from the constant and keen observation of natural objects.
1: So is Silly Suffolk like normal for Norfolk?
0: I think so. Right. I haven't heard Silly Suffolk. No, I me mean neither. But James speaks uh, of it as if it's a general thing. And then she says that the men and women of East Anglia are not fools, though they may be foolish. <laughs> what do you think of it? Because I'm not an outsider. I grew up in Cambridge, but you're right. an outsider to East Anglia, and yet here you are. Do you find them foolish, the well, East Anglians? You
1: say I'm an outsider, but my mum's family is all from Norfolk, so I suppose in a way I have a greater um, association with that area than you do being yes. from Cambridge, because you're basically city folk.
0: I'm city folk. Well, plus... I'm, well, I'm
1: from you know rural, rural Norfolk stock,
0: my, and my family are from the Northeast.
1: Yeah. Um, what do I think of it? Well, I mean, I don't foolish. <laughs> seems seems like something of a generalization
0: i think i'm foolish
1: right but not a fool
0: exactly not a fool but i am foolish (laughs) (laughs) so i thought fair play mh james that seems you know possible possible and i like the idea of the fine passages of dry wit that you will hear amongst the conversation of the east anglians because i like to think i have a dry wit
1: right so you do class yourself as an east anglian then?
0: sure I mean, okay. she's talking about Suffolk and Norfolk, but I yeah. think Cambridgeshire goes in there too. I guess so. What is Cambridgeshire, if not East Anglia? Well, oh, no, of course. So her book contains several stories of ghosts that have been known to haunt the areas around Gelston in Norfolk. Right. So I thought today we would look at a few of the bogies of Gelston and the hauntings of Gelston in Norfolk. What do
1: you think? Great. Uh, Whereabouts is Gelston?
0: Uh, it's right near the border of Norfolk and Suffolk. Okay. So it goes firmly into the middle of silly Suffolk and... Normal Norfolk <laughs> firmly into the area of foolish but not fools yes. I would say for this one a small village is Gelston, but it certainly has far more than its fair share of ghostly goings-on and many of these seem to involve a lover's lane oh. um, a lot I of... guess
1: that's where people might be positioning themselves after dark
0: <laughs> yes it's true and and typically quite quiet areas so you might you know a ghost doesn't never comes in a crowd, does it
1: no, it's interesting that.
0: <laughs> it never comes in a crowd. So a lover's lane, you might just get one or two people. Well, probably two.
1: Maybe the only people who come back as ghosts are the ones who are in life are uh, kind of quite withdrawn. If you're the life mm. and soul of the party, perhaps you just don't get to come back.
0: The introverted come back as ghosts. Yeah. And what becomes of the extroverted?
1: I don't know. Flitting around in some never They're sent well. to hell
0: for being too much.
1: Oh, they're just having a party somewhere. <laughs> the introverts haven't been invited. They or or at the very least party are uncomfortable anyway. at the idea. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So they just haunt the uh, haunt the areas where they once yeah, drifted as, exactly. as lonely souls. And what
1: could be more maudlin than a lover's lane? Oh. After dark.
0: James comments on this too. She says either lovers must be unusually bold people in their decisions to frequent dark and deserted areas, or They are so self-absorbed as to take no heed of what would alarm ordinary mortals.
1: Right, they have eyes only for one thing.
0: Exactly, only for one thing. Now, one such tale of a Galston bogey is recounted in the chapter Ghost on Wheels. (laughs) I I said it just as Chris drank is beer. (laughs) <laughs> ghosts on wheels
1: that sounds like the kind of book you would find in the school library children's section
0: yeah it's a funny name isn't it
1: like i remember i had a, a book out of the school library when i was a kid called the vampire in the computer right that's like a ghost on wheels isn't it similar kind of idea did a vampire supernatural li- being hang on. did a vampire live technology? in the computer i think so i can't really remember what
0: sucking away the electricity
1: again i can't remember i need more information well we'll look it up afterwards
0: i feel like the vampire would have to be a vampire for electricity or did the vampire put tiny pins into the keys so when you typed the keys Mm. you got pricks on your fingers and then it drank the blood and then it drank the blood into the computer
1: no i think it was that was the way the vampire was invited into your house somehow through your computer and then it's like You,
0: you put twilight on and then the vampire came in. No, this is before
1: the era of being able to watch films on computers. It was probably a, a basic It was certainly before program. the
0: era of Twilight. <laughs> That's true as well. It was Nosferatu for you.
1: Yes. Nosferatu on the cine projector. No sound. We had to make our own.
0: I thought Ghosts on Wheels was quite amusing. But what does it mean? Who are these ghosts and what are their wheels? Shall we find out more? Um, there's also a cheesy connection here.
1: Well, hang on. <laughs>
0: I thought you might like it because we like cheese. <laughs> the tale relates to a nobleman, or a family of noblemen, by rank if not by deed, a family called the Bygods. Right. Do you know about the cheesy Bygod? Bishop. It's called Baron. Baron Bygods. There's a tasty raw milk, uh, it's kind of like a brie, a brie style cheese, which is made at, I found out, at just one place, Fen Farm Dairy, near Bungay in Suffolk. I'm going to say that anyway because I remembered I looked it up and it's bungee. No, it's not. Is it bungay?
1: Oh, it's bungay. I used to know someone from Bungay, and I'm pretty sure they said Bung- I've never okay. said Bungay, and it was also famous for uh, being one of the first community websites, Bungay.net. What? You know, in that, now in this era, you have you know everyone's got a kind of oh, what's going on curtain twitching style community network. Yeah. In the early days of the internet, there was Bungay.net.
0: How so? Someone in Bungay was really yeah, forward thinking, exactly,
1: and they probably barely even had a phone line then, let alone just um, one
0: person set up Bungay.net. Well, I don't
1: know. Again, I'm saying this without really having. Oh wow! A lot I wonder of, uh, if it's still going. We can have a look afterwards.
0: Why did Bungay need this online? community oh, so same as anyone else
1: to find out what your neighbors are up to.
0: <laughs> spying was it just stories of spying? I
1: think so. All some, you know, nefarious types have been sighted round the God, corner shop.
0: Some boys in hoodies. Yeah, exactly. Round the bins <laughs> at the back of the supermarket. <laughs> anyway, there's a there's a cheese produced in Bungay and that's called Baron Bygod and it's a nice cheese and that I can only assume is named in some way in relation to the Bygod family.
1: Well, especially with the Baron qualifying it.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Now, distracted by cheese as so often we are and the internet (laughs) the worst distractions in our life cheese and the internet (laughs) back to the family of the bygods they give us the context for ghosts on wheels okay but we're going to have a little bit of family history you know I love to delve into the ancestry of the British nobles.
1: I just want ghosts. You want ghosts and wheels.
0: We'll, we'll get to them. The Bygods held the titles Earl of Norfolk.
1: That sounds pretty fancy, at and the top. Bygod
0: Castle, also known as Bungay Castle, was built as far back as Norman times by Roger Bygod in around eleven hundred. And then there were more Rogers. The last Roger in around thirteen hundred, he was the last of the Earls and one of the most powerful noblemen in the country during the reign of Edward I. Mm. Do you know what Edward I's nickname was?
1: Uh, not unless he was Edward the Confessor.
0: No, he wasn't. Edward the Confessor was seen earlier, sorry. He was um, Edward Longshanks. Oh,
1: Longshanks. I assume I he I was tall. That. Well, I knew about Longshanks, but I didn't know. That what could Edward
0: that mean but tall? Yeah. Yeah, or leggy, I think leggy. Yeah, so, so. <laughs> but is anyone ever leggy but a, a leggy very, blonde? <laughs> a very small body, but very long
1: legs. Very long shanks. Which part of the leg is the shank?
0: I think the shank. I had always thought it like the shin.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. But like now back, I wonder
0: if someone said to me, "Would you like to eat some shank? I would imagine that more like the thigh. Lamb
1: shanks, delicious.
0: Yeah, the lamb shank must be the thigh. You're not eating that below the knee bit of a sheep are you you do
1: eat shin though don't you beef shin. you eat beef shin that's a good cut for a but a beef's
0: got a bigger shin than a, a beef sheep. has yes a beef meat animal has a bigger shin
1: <laughs> what is when you say you're on shanks pony
0: that means you're walking well
1: i know but is that just a means your legs yeah maybe just you the go legs. just same, the legs same etymology, perhaps, or perhaps so, shanks Edward... and bigfoot <laughs>
0: <Sorry>. <laughs> shanks and bigfoot one's the long oh, legs yes. and one's, one's the got big feet, feet.
1: <laughs> I can't believe we never realised this before. We were
0: having an absolute revelation of a day. <laughs> so, Edward Longshanks was quite a close compatriot of Roger Bygood. They had a number of successful military campaigns together in Wales and Scotland. Oh, yeah. But they fell out. <laughs> they fell out, Chris. And M.H. James suggests that this was over the matter of some unpaid taxes. Uh. And indeed, at the time of his death, Roger had extensive debt. However, There are also records that show at least part of the altercation was um, over a dispute about having to fight in France. So Edward Longshanks gave an order that Roger should serve against the King of France in Gascony, while Edward went off to fight in Flanders. Lovely. Roger apparently said he wouldn't go because under feudal rules, he was only required to fight abroad in the company of the King himself. So he was like, well, if you're going to Flanders... I'm not going to this to go to Flanders other too. place. And the Encyclopedia Britannica reports that Edward said to Roger, Edward Longshanks said to Roger Bygood, By God, Earl, you shall either go or hang. Oh. Roger was quick with his riposte. By the same oath, O King, I will neither go nor hang. Oh.
1: <laughs> bold.
0: Very bold, because that's the king. Yeah, he Don't... can hang you. Yeah, so I think Roger was bold and reckless, perhaps. But he won the fight. He neither went nor hanged. So there we go. But the dispute simmered on and it seems that Edward had the last laugh as when Bygod died without issue, childless, in 1306. The castle and estate went not to Roger's brother but to the crown.
1: Yeah. Well, if he was a debtor as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. So in the end, Longshanks had the last laugh.
1: Maybe the Earl of Norfolk was just trying to help him out, sending him to France. He was like, there's probably good plunder in there. Do you think? Pay off your debts.
0: But he'd already done all that fighting in Wales and Scotland. He probably just wanted a quiet retirement.
1: I suppose it depends how old he was. Nobody sends a 70-year-old to fight in France, no, do they? but
0: I mean, he probably wasn't getting to 70. I think he was 40 at most. Anyway, back to the bogeys on wheels. You're saying, how do we get from Roger yeah. to these wheels? <laughs> these hilarious wheels. M.H. James says that the last members of the family line, including the aforementioned Roger, mm-hmm. were utterly irreligious and profane persons. That was the accusation that's often made against them. Here comes the ghostly part. For their sins, they can never rest in their graves, but nightly in a huge old leathern coach with four fiery horses do their unshrived ghosts
1: drive abroad. To France? <laughs>
0: They must not go to France. They drive around the last of the bygod line. This is
1: nightly as well.
0: In a huge old leathern coach. Four fiery horses for it.
1: what kind of coach? Leathern. What does that mean?
0: I assume. Made of leather? Leathery. Right. <laughs> a leathern coach. And do you know what unshrived means?
1: Mm, no.
0: It's those who did not make a confession or receive last rites ah, before their deaths. okay. And so their souls are cursed. Right, right. The last of the bygod line racing around Gelston, in their fiery coach.
1: Sounds like a right lark.
0: I don't know why the horses have got involved, though.
1: Well, they're probably, there's probably just a stock of ghostly horses, isn't there? <laughs> Waiting for the right deaths. Somebody, I mean, who's in charge? Like, you know, somebody has made the decision, okay, these guys are unshrived. Nobody's it's it's in the ghostly charge. life for them.
0: <laughs> Summon the ghostly horses. Yeah. They'll need four. They've got a huge coach to yeah, pull. Yeah, 11. So the bygod ghosts race in their carriage along the high road near the castle... They race past the churchyard of St. Michael's in Galston.
1: Probably mooning out the window.
0: Down the nearby lover's lane, hun away. The same route all the time. They always keep to the same
1: route. So there are multiple instances of sightings then?
0: Yes. Unlike some ghostly apparitions, she says, they do not seem to herald death or misfortune and they don't ever interact with the people around them. They never, you know, seem to be trying to communicate mm. Or anything like that they just go around and around in the same routine every time and maybe a strange thing about them about the rollicking coach is that you either see the coach or hear it not uh, both but you never do both (laughs) so some people report that they see the the coach thundering past right um, with the fiery horses but they don't hear anything but then some people just hear the kind of thundering hooves on the uh, but how do they know that that
1: isn't just a normal coach
0: because they don't see it
1: well, I know, but it could be just be behind a line of trees.
0: No, it's the bygods okay. thundering about, thundering about Gelston, Because if you know their path, you'll know uh, where they'll go. Okay, I suppose. This is the more common encounter, those who hear the thunderous mm. hooves of the horses and the creaking wheels of the carriage coming terrifyingly towards them. And they leap from the path in fright, but they don't see it. For no reason. Those are the ghosts on wheels.
1: I see, okay.
0: So the ghosts, themselves, the ghosts themselves don't have wheels. Not like that tortoise where the tortoise lost its back legs right? and then they gave the tortoise two wheels and it can just sort of pull Drang itself, itself along. along.
1: Or like the wheelers from uh, Return to Wars. Oh Oz. my
0: god, that would be the scariest thing ever. Would a wheeler or a ghost of a wheeler be more scary?
1: Mm, well, probably a ghost of a wheeler. I'm not sure. No?
0: I think the wheeler itself.
1: I mean, they're scary enough to begin with, but surely a ghost of something tops that thing itself for scariness because it's got an extra scary level.
0: As an aside on this topic of wheelers, during lockdown on our Sunday film club where we watch films and we WhatsApp our friends who are watching the same film, I, for the first time, watched Return to Oz. And it is genuinely horrifying. I couldn't believe how horrible it is. Not just the wheelers, but right at the beginning when they take her to the doctor's. And they're yeah. like, Oh, we might have to do some ECT. I was like, on this tiny child, you're going to ECT, tiny Marisa Bork. I mean, thank God she gets away to Oz so they don't get to do it, but it's really scary, isn't it? Yeah,
1: and then the scene where she has to get the powder of animation from inside Mombi's head cabinet. You hate Mombi. And then Terrifying she wakes up Monby. the face wakes up, the eyes open, and all, <laughs> all the screaming heads. Yeah, it's brilliant. I think that was I think that was the second film I ever saw at the cinema. And I think it probably says a lot about the kinds of films that I like now, that that was uh, it set you on early your path. in my cinematic What was the experience. first film you saw at the cinema? Uh The NeverEnding Story.
0: That's also very scary. Yeah. I feel like I end up discussing The NeverEnding Story quite a lot in my life. I watched it a lot when I was a child, right. and I think it had a kind of a formative experience on me. <laughs> Perhaps in the same way as Return to Oz did yeah, for you. The NeverEnding Story, very scary in parts. Very sad in parts we won't think of it now though never think of our tax going into the swamp of despair or we'll all be in tears ah ghosts on wheels did you think the ghosts themselves would have wheels i
1: don't know what i thought actually i suppose if, if i sat to think about it then yes a carriage makes sense because they're it not does. exactly going to be driving cars are they No.
0: i finished my beer and mm. we've got three bogeys to discuss so shall we move a beer on for to each bogey. A, a beer per bogey. So shall we move to beer number two for bogey numbers? The Nightmare two? Porter. We're doing the, the tradition of ales where you start with your weakest one and then we're working up to the strongest one. Alcohol content wise, not flavour wise. And this is Nightmare Porter now. Oh, I like it. This is more up my alley than that mild, actually. That mild had quite um a strong bitter flavour, and this has more of a mellow flavour. Tell us what it says.
1: It is Nightmare Porter from the Hambleton Brewery. It says it is a massively flavoured four malt porter. 5%.
0: Nice. Where's Hambleton? Do you know?
1: I don't know. Um, these were all bought in the, the north of England. Ah, oh, here we go. The Hambleton Brewery is in Ripon, North Yorkshire. Delicious. Good, pointless British city, Ripon.
0: Yeah. I wouldn't have known it was a city. Great news. Okay. Nightmare Porter. Lovely. Now, time for the next bogey. This one involves less talk of cheese and less ancestry of British noblemen, you'll be pleased to hear. Instead, it involves a foul discovery at the bottom of a horse pond.
1: (laughs) What's a horse pond?
0: I think a horse pond is a place where you would water your horses. Oh, okay. There's one in Fulbon, near where we take Vin to a special cat vet's. In uh, Fulbourn, which is a village just outside Cambridge, I mean, it's effectively part of Cambridge now, but there's an old horse pond there. And that, I mean, it's just a hollow in the ground, but I think, I guess it was just you watered your horses there. Okay. Apparently, the area around the pond kept flooding in rainy weather, which caused enough inconvenience to the people of Galston that they decided to deepen the pond to try to prevent the frequent flooding. Right. So... You can imagine this is quite tough to dig at the bottom well, of I a pond. Well, I was just thinking,
1: yeah, how do, you, how do you deepen a pond without draining a pond?
0: I don't really know.
1: Send a frogman with a spade. <laughs>
0: Maybe. Send your best fine swimmers down into the pond. Yeah. Maybe you drain, dig and refill.
1: How do you drain, though, in the days before pumps? Oh digging Lord, a so trench many questions.
0: or something. During the necessary digging work, what should be unearthed but a skeleton Great. pond? And unusually... The most surprising thing about the skeleton, around its neck was hung a large millstone. Ooh. Yes.
1: Somebody didn't want that body to rise back up.
0: No, they didn't, did they? The villagers then began to gossip after this unusual find, and some remembered stories told to them by grandparents of a wicked criminal who had been executed in the village many years past. The plan was originally to bury him at a crossroads at the edge of the village, but out of respect to his family, they decided to put him in the pond instead.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so he was dead when he went in the pond?
0: Yes, I think so. Okay. Now, I thought, hang on, a couple of questions okay. here. Is it really much better to be flung into a pond than buried at a crossroads? Well, what's
1: the point they're trying to make? How is that respectful? Well, I guess it, so. There's the idea that if you're buried at the crossroads, your soul can't find its way to heaven. Is yeah. The, so there's right. an
0: element of that. So I did a bit of looking into this crossroads pond millstone business what firstly the question was why would they even have buried him at a crossroads and as you say there's a bit of a tradition of burying people at crossroads criminals in the history of england yes so criminals and suicides people who committed suicide who of course were regarded as as criminals in those times do you know when suicide was decriminalized in the uk
1: I don't, but I suspect it's probably halfway through the 20th century.
0: Yeah, it's really late. The Suicide Act of 1961. Right. I think, I think if point. I had to
1: guess, I would have said probably 60s. Yeah. I suppose it's, it's along with like, you know, the end of hanging and a yeah. barbaric it's things. It's pretty grim, isn't it? Yeah. So
0: up until 1961, people who committed suicide would, would be recorded as criminals. Although officially that was the case, but whether that was actually what happened up until 1961. But it was considered, obviously, for a long time to be... You, would, you couldn't have a proper burial. And actually until 1823, so going back some way, those who committed suicide were not permitted a Christian or church burial mm. and were often interred at the crossroads instead, sometimes with a wooden stake through the chest. <laughs> And I think that the the reason is similar. So the the stake was thought that that would stop the soul rising out of the body to meet God and the crossroads would kind of confuse the soul. How unworthy the soul would
1: be to meet God. Imagine if it just snuck up there and had to meet God.
0: (laughs) And then he was like, hang on, I've just heard that you committed suicide, you tricksy bastard. Yeah,
1: you blow that own hole in your head, did you?
0: Ah, get back down there. And the crossroads were meant to confuse the the soul that they would like, oh, I don't know where I'm going. There's so many roads. What can it possibly mean? A sort of extra punishment beyond the grave, if you will, as we've often seen, so all the all the punishments we saw gibbeting gibbeting the dissection that that was mm. our favorite murderer, William Corder, subjected to these terrible dissections after his death, so it wasn 't really enough ever for people just to be executed, or in this case, the suicide was almost like they had to punish you for having committed suicide. And you were already dead, so they, yeah, had, to find, they, they f- had to find other ways to punish you for this terrible crime.
1: But probably also there is an element of it kind of bringing shame on your family, isn't there? Mm-hmm. When you were saying earlier on that, that it was done to uh, you know out of respect yeah. for the family. Yes, yeah,
0: so it was considered a terrible disgrace to receive a crossroads burial. So earlier I said that until 1823, uh, suicides could not have a Christian or church burial. And actually an act of government was passed in 1823 that changed the law to allow people who'd committed suicide to be buried in a church, albeit in a private ceremony, not a Christian ceremony, right. and under cover of darkness. Ha. So they had to have a funeral at night, essentially. That seems more they appropriate in some ways. And they couldn't have a proper ceremony. Not until 1882 was the burial of people who had killed themselves during daylight hours permitted. Not people who had killed themselves in daylight
1: hours. <laughs> people who had killed themselves, comma.
0: In any, in any hours. And, then, yeah, and so that was then permitted. Yeah. So it slowly, slowly moved towards like, okay, we'll, we'll accept that this is a choice people have made. So back to the horsepond felon. We don't know, of course, if he had committed suicide or if he was a criminal. I mean, you just
1: called him a felon.
0: Well, I did call him a felon. M H. James calls him a felon. Right. Why did he have the millstone around his neck?
1: Well, that seems as useful I've said, as I've a stake said through the heart.
0: Millston, like Milston. I'm it's because I've been saying Gulston <laughs> in the pronunciation of the Norfolk and Suffolk towns, stone is stin. So that's why I'm saying Millston, but of course it's a Millstone in this case. So I've got two suggestions. Okay. I'll make it clear they're both pure speculation. On your part? On my part. None of this is from the book. This is just things based on reading and stuff that I've done. So firstly, I thought, could it be the same inclination as the stake driven through the body? that's what I was just saying. Pin them down. I found a reference in the book Folklore of Sussex by Jacqueline Simpson, to a, again, a a quote here, criminal or suicide just lumped in together, who was buried on the outskirts of East Preston with a millstone laid on top of his body and a stake driven through the middle of it. Just to make sure. Just to make sure. Millstone, stake, bang them both in. And Simpson suggests these practices were officially done as a warning to others who might commit a similar crime, but unofficially were thought to help prevent hauntings by mm-hmm. restless spirits. So there was a sort of formal explanation for it, which was that this is a disgrace, yeah, this yeah. is kind of a desecration of the body. But also a bit of a kind but of also, su- superstitious... Exactly. That idea that it frankly, pins the soul to the it earth.
1: It all logic, doesn't it? What do you mean? Oh... <laughs> The whole notion of a ghost being a, a spectre—it's not troubled by elements of the physical world, is it?
0: No, I wonder if there's something. I mean, the get, stake. Get it early. Is, <laughs> the stake is interesting because, of course, that's the vampires. vampires yeah. that vampire law.
1: But that's about making sure they're properly dead, isn't mm. it? Which is not quite the same. No. You're acknowledging that they're dead, especially if they're a suicide.
0: But then I wonder if there was some um, significance attached to millstones, or was it just that they were the heavy, really thing, big and heavy, yeah, massive and heavy, and it's sort of again a maybe symbolic weight as well as a. Mm. A literal weight and it was thought the symbolic weight would be felt by the soul somehow
1: just skimmed it just
0: skimmed skimmed looking for the word millstone (laughs) there's a reference in the bible to sinners having millstones laid around their necks when alive as a form of a horrible weight and then being thrown into the sea or a deep Mm. river to drown as the millstone pulls them down Mm. under the water. So a form of execution.
1: And the convenience of not wanting the body floating around.
0: Sure. You're very concerned about not letting the bodies float around. (laughs) Well, I mean, I
1: suppose my frame of reference is more maybe like a a Mafia hit. I see. um, (laughs) The the concrete (laughs) feet. Yes, exactly. Concrete shoes.
0: The Mafia just didn't have these millstones to hand, did they?
1: No, they'd use any old heavy rock.
0: They'd make their own heavy rock.
1: Right, out of concrete, because they were all in the construction industry. of course. Easily done.
0: This skeleton was at the bottom of a pond So I thought maybe it was sort of a throwback Mm. To this old form of punishment But how does it become a bogey?
1: Well, I think it seems like they've taken every step to prevent it
0: Yes, they have, Chris However, the skeleton was pulled out of the mud as you might expect under these circumstances, there was quite a lot of discussion about what they should do with it. Mm. You can't just throw it back in the mud nope. once you've dug it out.
1: How, sorry, what year was this?
0: Oh, we never know what year these <laughs> are. <laughs> these bogey stories. I mean, James was writing in the late Victorian period mm. and she had spoken to... Like um, old people in the village. Exactly. She travelled all around. Yeah. She had someone else who, who helped her as well, who gathered lots of stories for her an unnamed assistant who I like to imagine was like a a mysterious lover (laughs) but I've completely made that up I just I like to think that M.H. James had this sort of handsome intellectual lover who they would just both go around gathering stories from East Anglia and put them together in this book but as I say just pure speculation on my part. I think this is probably going to be sometime in the early 1800s.
1: I suppose I'm trying to determine how many years may have passed since the body was in there.
0: Well it was full skeleton
1: yeah, but so that wouldn't they, take long.
0: They don't say a corpse was dug out.
1: No. Well, How long does we, it take for the body to but decompose the mud in water? Not, um, yeah.
0: The mud might pr- pr- protect it. To like the, the bog uh, people. Like the bog people. I think if it was made, well, we don't know. It's
1: industrial era. They've got millstones. Yeah.
0: They had millstones in the Bible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they just weren't driven, you know, they were probably human labour was forced the millstones. And actually the, the mill is
1: around. not a product of the Industrial Revolution, is it? <laughs>
0: The mill predates it. You're thinking of factories. <laughs> so what should we do with the body, they thought. It was a really long way to the main churchyard and no one fancied transporting it Lazy. There. And I wonder if they still had a bit of reluctance to take them to the churchyard right. because they obviously had this suspicion... That there was a reason. ...that it was a criminal. There was a reason mm. it had been chucked in a pond with a millstone round its neck.
1: And previously... No bogey in this particular area? This... They had not been troubled before this time?
0: Well, this is Galston, so they already Well, they've already got the ghost on wheels, yeah, sure. But I mean, but no, in this relation area to the horse was, pond. was free, free from bogeys. But the rector came up with a plan. He said the north side of the churchyard wasn't as far, um, just over some fields from the horse pond. So he said, why don't we take the skeleton... First, we'll have to take the millstone off because that's too heavy. Yeah, you don't want to be moving that. Um, and take the remains to be buried near the churchyard wall on the north side of the churchyard. We don't have to make the whole journey round to the main churchyard. Mm. We can just pop it on the other side of the wall, no problem.
1: And also, if they are just a little bit uh, touchy about whether or not exactly. it's appropriate to say, so it So they're kind of hedging their bets yeah, a bit. Yeah. But
0: what a mistake, Chris.
1: Well, you don't want to take the millstone off for They stars. took the
0: millstone right <laughs> off. They took it off. As James reports, this wicked felon, relieved of his spiritual clog, rose at once. As soon as they put him in his new grave, the wretched spook began to haunt the area, roaming about the unconsecrated area between the churchyard and the lover's lane. They've gone.
1: Oh. <laughs>
0: this is the same churchyard of St Michael's where the um, right. ghosts on wheels race around.
1: Right. Sounds like a hotbed of activity. It
0: is, so they've added this new bogey now by taking the millstone off. <laughs>
1: Well, at least they're confining the bogies to the bogey area
0: <laughs> churchyard and lovers lane <laughs> and around the castle of course for the ghosts on wheels yeah so that's the story of the second bogey
1: and so what did they do just live with it
0: you can't do anything once the bogey, once the is, bogey is loose loose yeah mm-hmm. what, what would you do
1: i mean i don't know try and get the millstone back around it
0: too late for that chris
1: dig it back up again throw it back in the pond <laughs>
0: Too late. Is it? Too late for that. So now... So too- all of these
1: ideas, then, pretty soon after death, you have to enact them. you Otherwise, yeah. you're, you're running the risk of the bogey getting loose. I think so. Right.
0: I think that's the thing. And also, maybe this area was prone to bogeys in some way yeah, due to its forces. Uh, bad forces there. Lee lines. Lee? Lay? Lay lines? Lay
1: lines. Lay lines. <laughs> I think so, yeah.
0: Who knows? Who knows? Maybe this area is particularly prone to bogeys for some other reason that we don't know about. Forces.
1: We should get down there. Start Do an investigation, bogeys. yeah. Bring mm-hmm. some, you know, scientific instruments. Take some readings.
0: Sure. What Do you propose what kind of instruments?
1: I don't know. What do they have in, uh, you know, uh, Most Haunted with uh, Fielding?
0: <laughs> they have very sensitive sound recording equipment.
1: Fine, we've got that.
0: Okay. They have things that tell you when it's cold. A
1: thermometer, yes.
0: <laughs> and then I think they have a little small machine that beeps.
1: Ah, that's it. <laughs>
0: That's the crucial thing. (laughs) And they use their eyes as well.
1: And their television cameras.
0: They use cameras and eyes to spot the bogeys wherever they may roam. Right. And we have eyes. Yep. And cameras, I suppose, on Mm. our phones. Yeah. So we could hunt some bogeys. Just go down to Lover's Lane. I don't want to venture down Lover's Lane at night. I don't know what we'll find. It's probably
1: all dogging these days. Exactly.
0: That's what I was worried about. I'm sad that the term bogey has fallen out of use.
1: Well, except for nose bogeys.
0: Yeah. This bogey is spelt differently. How would you spell a nose bogey? G-E-Y.
1: Mm. No, I think I'd spell it B-O-G-I-E.
0: I'd spell it a nose bogey.
1: B-O-G-E-Y, man. Think of
0: Fungus the Bogeyman.
1: Yeah. How's that B-O-G-E-Y-M-A-N? Mm. I suppose, well, bogey- and bogeyman. And was made
0: out of bogeys? <laughs>
1: It is was quite snotty, he was wasn't that? it?
0: He was really snotty. But no, the
1: bogeyman is a thing, isn't it? And I guess that's the same as bogey. Yeah. A bogey in the ghost sense.
0: Ah, so Fungus the bogeyman, was that like a funny joke? Maybe it was. Because he was a bogeyman, but also made of bogeys. I just
1: remember going back to the school library that, again, Fungus the bogeyman was the book that was always out. The of waiting y- list for Fungus the bogeyman. <laughs>
0: Did you, did you have a waiting list? Yeah, because
1: it had all tabs and things to pull. I had that book
0: pull, at home. the Bogeyman pop up book. Yeah. I owned that book as yeah, a child. Well,
1: you were lucky. Yeah,
0: you don't want a pop up book in a school library, though. No, wrecked. Absolutely fucked. Especially that when book must everybody's have been. taking it out. And Even people, the kids that don't
1: even care for books, they'd have Fungus the Bogeyman. And out. they
0: wouldn't be respectful of the tabs. Oh, tearing them out. Tabs and flaps. they just treat them too harshly, wouldn't they? Yeah. Outrageous. The librarian must have just rolled her eyes every time. Ah. Oh, bogeyman again, is it?
1: Bring out the tape. <laughs>
0: Presumably it was her who put the book in the library. I'm assuming it was a woman. Maybe you had a male. I don't think actually don't.
1: at primary school, I don't think there was a school librarian. It was just a free-for-all? Oh, well, no, I mean...
0: Who maintained the waiting well, <laughs> list? <laughs> That's
1: a good question. There were student librarians. You got to be a librarian in the fourth year. Did you? Yeah. Got a book token at the end of the year to say thanks to your work.
0: How many hours did you put in? I can't remember. Did you get out of classes to do that?
1: Again, I can't remember. But you did. I remember one of the most important things was bringing all the books to the fore of the shelf so that the edges were all in line. Oh. Not so the books weren't just willy-nilly creating a scattered effect on the shelf. Oh, God.
0: Bring them all forward. We've just painted our kitchen slash dining room area. This is a story about my life now. Me and Chris's life, this isn't a story from the past, I should specify. And we had to take loads of books off a bookshelf. And then we've just today been putting the books back on. I just pushed them right to the back, so they are willy nilly. You
1: would not gather muster in the Cranberry Junior no. School librarian stakes.
0: Wow, I didn't think of ever no books the book token to for you front. at the end of the year because sometimes I have to um, double up on the books. There's too many, so if I can, if they're paperbacks, you have can fit two mm. two layers in. But that's no good in a library.
1: No, because people need to be able to find them.
0: They only want fungus. <laughs>
1: true.
0: Was that Raymond Briggs?
1: think so yeah of the snowman thing, yeah then
0: doing his dark side fungus yeah
1: well then he did when the wind blows
0: oh is that about nuclear war yeah oh no
1: that was never out
0: no an old couple ravaged by nuclear war yeah horrible well that's the future
1: turning to atomic dust
0: and then fungus appears out of the <laughs> drains that was a sequel to where the wind blows
1: where the wind blows was a fungus the buggy man prequel
0: and the snowman was just you know the past it wasn't
1: snow it was atomic ash
0: it was atomic dust that would be better because then the snowman wouldn't have to melt come summer
1: no that's true but he would kill everyone who tried to meet him <laughs>
0: He would kill, slowly he would kill alid jones oh
1: alid jones just mo- <laughs> just slowly decaying as a consequence of too much time in the snowman's presence <laughs> we should probably have this other drink and get on with the stories
0: now this last one i'm most intrigued to try this is an orange stout is it in fact a chocolate orange stout is it chocolate orange stout i bloody love a chocolate orange do you we always end up reminiscing you and i chris when we discuss things but do you know chocolate oranges? Yeah. And on the advert it used to say tap and unwrap. As if you would tap the chocolate orange and all the segments would separate.
1: That was the really that was the illusion we were sold, yes.
0: That never happened though.
1: Well, that's probably because your chocolate orange was too soft. I reckon if you kept it, wasn't it in, soft. if you kept it in a uh, fridge and then tapped it.
0: My chocolate orange was not soft. I'd say it was just slightly cooler than room temperature.
1: Well, Yes, and, and that should be tapping and wrap temperature, I'd say. If you
0: tap, it just all globs together and you have to kind of prise apart those segments. Anyway, they were tasty, weren't they? Tell us about now the chocolate orange stout, beer number three.
1: This is from the Black Sheep Brewery.
0: Ah, our old friends.
1: Who made, I think, Black Sheep itself is Black a beer, Black Sheep itself, it? yeah, yeah. An ale. This is uh, born and bred in Marsham. Masham, maybe Masham, Yorkshire. Choc and orange stout. Six point one percent. That's why we saved it till last. It's an award-winning and velvety smooth stout with a difference. Delicious. With real dark chocolate and handfuls of natural orange peel.
0: I'm going to try it. Will it taste like a chocolate orange?
1: Let's see. Ooh. Mm. I'd say not particularly.
0: I mean, it tastes. There's an, oranginess a, an there. orangey An orangey flavour.
1: It's not sweet like a chocolate orange. Choc. <laughs>
0: Oh, the, the new old, favourite. The old uh, chalkwork Orange. The Chocolate Orange. We should patent that and make something.
1: something I don't know what it has. would be. <laughs> yeah, it's not sweet, is it, like a Terry's Chocolate Orange?
0: No, but I don't mind that because I don't want my beer no. too sweet. Pleasing, I'd say. For me, the beers have got steadily better right. as the strength has increased.
1: Well, <laughs> <laughs> Or, or as you've drunk more of them.
0: It's time for the last bogey okay, of Gelston. This bogey is wonderfully named... The hateful thing. (laughs) This is a sort of creature or beast that haunts the area around the churchyard. Oh, yeah. Including the nearby Lover's Lane. Yes. Some sources identify this as a hellhound in the mould of Black Shuck. Oh, okay. Who is the legendary dog, Mm. large hellish hell beast dog who roams around Suffolk and Norfolk. But I prefer this version from A.M.H. James. She says, which I rather like. The Hateful Thing is said to be quite Greek in character, as it is its very undefinable nature that constitutes its terror. Ooh. Yes. So it isn't as simple as just being a hellhound like Black Shuck. It's just a sort of strange you can't quite put your finger on what it is. How boring if it was just black shuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The hateful thing. So I like to, you know, I prefer this version where it doesn't just get jammed into the black shuck mythology and it's its own Weird, strange thing. There have been a number of sightings of this mysterious spirit. It causes a fearful swounding in whoever comes across it. A
1: swounding?
0: Do you remember? We had this word before. It means swooning. A terrible swounding. I have swounded! (laughs) And James recounts one in particular story of the of an encounter with the hateful thing she finds this one especially interesting its nature and she seems to like it because the story came to her from a respectable old charwoman who appears wholly unimaginative
1: (laughs) (laughs) but that isn't to say that somebody else could have made it up and told her
0: no because she saw the hateful thing herself oh
1: she saw it herself sorry so
0: the implication is of course this unimaginative charwoman could not Mm, have concocted this fanciful tale the charwoman says that her youngest daughter Known here as A, was courting a young man. Somewhat mysteriously to modern ears, she says that A and her suitor hadn't got as far as arming it, let alone wasting it. James intervenes in the story to suggest that these terms of country courtship explain themselves. But no, do they? <laughs> I
1: mean, is it a um, a weapon analogy? Arming it
0: and wasting it. So wasting it is waste like your waste. Oh, it...
1: okay. Not like wasting it as in throwing oh, God, it away. Oh, God, you've gone straight to weaponry. Well, arming it. I was <laughs> I like, know, I was like cocking <laughs> the pistol. No?
0: That's so male of you. No. Well, why else do you arm? Well, you have an arm. So, to me, I suppose I've seen them written down. It's an right. arm and a waist and they're parts of the body. Oh, okay. So, that obviously refers to something. Right. But you've thought of... Well,
1: I I mean, obviously, I was going for cock metaphors. Right. And the so pistol, the for, old sex pistol.
0: Sure. You first arm, arm the pistol. Yeah. And then you waste your opponent well,
1: no you 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 waste the output if it doesn't go towards <laughs> producing a child <laughs> i obviously didn't know it was spelled uh, like waste as in your waste.
0: well i still think could you... you
1: describe what you think it is then
0: well so i do know what i think it is but the first time i read it i was like is this it's of it's weird because is it like first you're something around the like i thought it was like second base third base well yeah thing. that's yeah so wasting it is like going below the waistline
1: <laughs> What? And arming it is well, going below the arm line.
0: So I think what it must be, as James says, they explain themselves. Right. She um, she's
1: too prudish to I explain what to us I think what it must be are.
0: is I think arming it must be walking along arm in arm. Oh, okay. And I think wasting it must be walking along like with your arm around someone's waist. Okay. That's. But it does that's sound more
1: innocent than I'd imagined.
0: Well, it was the old days. <laughs> so, but no. Well, your your explanation was very outlandish. Mine was more prosaic, just, you know, below the waist activities. There's some terms of country courtship for us. And also, bear in mind, their mum was there. Well, one of their mums. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not trying to imply that the uh, incestuous times are true. Country folk, can't Mm. be trusted. Whatever the case may be on the army at Wasting It Front. Um, What a
1: shame it's been replaced by the uh, Americanisms of baseball analogies.
0: (laughs) Sure, I know, I know. I invited her mother one evening to join them on a stroll her and her suitor they strolled around a while out of Gilston and past a neighboring village it was as they returned to girlston that a cried out mother how that dog did frighten me but neither the mother nor the young gentleman could see any dog Mm. a cried out again it's on her head and oh it ain't a dog it's bigger than a horse now and it's walking slow (laughs) but once again the others could see nothing although they could hear a mysterious thumping sound A then came in fright and clung to her mother and at this moment the mother could see the hateful thing as if her daughter's touch had passed on the sight to her. It was black and had no definable shape and didn't keep to the same size but seemed amorphous and strange. Mm. Each time A let go, the charwoman lost sight of the creature only to see it when A seized her arm again. Because it went slowly, slowly along the path ahead of them they had to follow slowly too. Not wanting the thing to get behind them. Very wise, I say. Never let it get behind you. As they approached the churchyard, the thing went that way, and they turned down a different lane. That was the last they saw of it. <laughs> the hateful thing.
1: Sounds to me like the Morrigan of Alan Garner's books, which, in hmm, I'm going to say, the Moon of Gomrath takes on the form of a horse, a bit like that. Mm. But it's it's a dark, it's a presence, and it's uh, a, a it's
0: shifting a, presence. Yeah,
1: exactly. And the horse is to lure you into it, and then you're done for.
0: Quite spooky. Mm. Which of the bogeys of Galston would you most hate to see? That one. The hateful thing. Yeah. I don't like how it moves so slowly. No. At least with the thundering carriage of the um, Ghosts on Wheels. It's gone. It's gone quick.
1: And what does the hateful thing even want?
0: It just creeps. Mm. It just creeps around, not really doing anything, but just putting a dreadful fear into everyone who sees it, I think. And then you leave, but the fear is in your heart. The bad fear You've is been in your heart forever. By it. Exactly.
1: Yeah. It's probably damp.
0: A damp, cloying, mouldy sensation growing inside your chest for the rest of your life.
1: Is there any attempt to make any links between these bogeys? No. No. It's really presented matter of fact that Geldston just has all these on? They're just different
0: stories in M H James' book. Yeah. It's just all oh, back to Geldston again. Right. Another bogey. Is there
1: anywhere else in the area that is similarly afflicted?
0: I don't think quite so many bogeys.
1: Well, we should head to Gelston. Or
0: not so interesting bogeys. Right. You know, just, a, oh, here's a woman in grey. Oh, yeah. Here's someone howling in the churchyard. It's it's the the difference of the, diver- the diversity of bogeys in right. Galston that captured my attention. <laughs> There's also some talk of a ghostly donkey <laughs> being in the same churchyard area. But I don't know, really, that that has much to add to our, no. <laughs> to our story. I mean,
1: beyond simply being one, one more bogey.
0: Beyond affirming that Gelston is the bogey heartland. Yes, bogey, bogey. central. Exactly. That's our three bogeys.
1: Well, what's a good three?
0: Ghost on Wheels, the Millstone Skeleton,
1: and the Hateful
0: Thing. I think we can all agree that M.H. James always brings us a good story. A good bogey. So I think we'll, no doubt, another day hear more of mh james's good tales but for now i suppose we'll say goodbye thanks for listening goodbye christopher goodbye and goodbye from me <laughs> who says it's goodbye from me
1: the two ronnies
0: oh yeah i accidentally two it <laughs>